unfortunately, often have to dispense advice, whether it's behavior or grooming or anything, even on how often to get their dog's nails trimmed, we have to sometimes compete with the contradictory advice that these same owners are getting in the carpool line at school. Right. That didn't exist before. So. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, I, I don't think there's, I don't think there's a slowing down either. Um, I mean, you know, obviously projections are what they are, but I'll give you a statistic, Ryan. This is a little terrifying. And it comes from the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics. They predict that our industry, which is the the pet care industry, all all pet services, needs to recruit, train, and employ 64,000 more new pet groomers by 2026. Mm -hmm. I read that. just, Just to keep the American appetite for pet ownership. And that is if not a single groomer out there today leaves this industry. So 64,000 more groomers need to be employed and trained and in place just so that every new pet in an American home that needs services will have access to those services. found us. This is Grooming Unleashed, where we learn and talk about the ins and outs of the pet grooming industry. From pro groomers and salon owners to show hosts and dog handlers, we'll jump into the stressful and crazy stories of the day-to-day operations of the crazy world of grooming. I'm your host, Ryan Alvarez. Our podcast is sponsored by Loyalty Pet Products. Loyalty Pet Products provides quality grooming tools and accessories at an affordable price. From shears to stripping knives to smocks and hammocks, Loyalty Pet Products has an essential tool to fit your expectation and style. Use code UNLEASHED to save 10% today. Loyalty Pet Products, uniquely designed, beautifully priced. This is Ryan Alvarez with Grooming Unleashed, episode nine. So excited to have the amazingly talented and influential Chris Berry with us. Chris Berry has been actively involved in the pet industry for 33 years. She's the founder of C-Spot Grooming and Daycare with multiple pet grooming, training, and daycare facilities in Florida and Kentucky. She owns and operates these stores with her husband, William, in Kentucky and in Florida, Uh, with her son and daughter-in-law, Josh and Amanda Aaron. Nationally recognized, Chris has been uh, recognized as a Barclay Honors winner in 2017. Uh, She's earned multiple Barclay Honors nominations, including Contribution to the Industry, Journalism, and Speaker of the Year, Pet Age Magazine 2018 Vanguard Award winner, and 2019 Pet Age Magazine Women of Influence Award winner. Chris has established a platform of education and awareness in animal handling and safety in the pet industry and is an active advocate for fair and effective pet grooming legislation. Author, educator, speaker, business owner, and mother, Chris has a lifelong commitment to professionalism in the pet industry as well as to the pets and the clients who love them. 
Most recently, Chris has joined the ranks and accepted the director of grooming position with World Pet Association, a not-for-profit that is based in LA, which serves the entire pet industry through trade shows, education, and good work. And that upcoming show is at the Atlanta Pet Fair in March, so check it out. And without further ado, I give you Chris Berry. Hey everybody, this is Ryan Alvarez with a very special guest. We have Chris Berry for episode nine of Grooming Unleashed. Chris, it is a very, very, uh, I, I just, I'm very excited to have you on the show. So it's a pleasure to have you. So um, Chris, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you, Ryan. I am honored that you thought of me and that you asked. I don't think I have a choice. Your name is all over the industry and uh and it's nothing but kind words from everybody, which is, it's, uh, it's not always easy to do these days. Ah, well, thank you. Thank you. I, I, I don't know if it's ever a good thing to be notorious, but. <laughs> <laughs> um, what is the, uh, what's the one thing that you would say got you into grooming and how long ago was that? Oh, well, I have a feeling over our time together tonight, this is going to come up a couple of times and your questions already lead me toward having to real reveal my true identity and my, you're only, you're only 22 on the podcast tonight. So (laughs) Uh, excellent. Excellent. Well, that being said, I've been in the industry since negative eight, at least. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. So I, um, I, I really, before I was a pet professional, you know, like very many of us, I was a pet lover. So truly, truly, I'm sure the story just is told a, a hundred thousand times over by, by groomers everywhere. But I, I was the ultimate animal kid, not just dogs, but but just animals of all sorts. So that I, you know, went to college, had the, the whole, let me go find a career, um, you know, messed around in a couple of different industries and started with dogs as a hobby. Um, Adopted a a giant adult Great Dane from a rescue group and um, out of necessity enrolled him in a local AKC obedience club. And we flunked our first beginner's class and re-enrolled and we ended our second beginner's class with the first prize in the class and I was hooked thereafter on, on training dogs. So that was probably about 33 years ago at this point. So long story short, like many of us, you know, kept plugging away and in making my way in the world and kept returning to finding a way to make my passion uh, something that I got to do every day. And I have been a self-employed pet professional now for 31 years. So the animal industry has been good to me. I I have, um, you know, lived through every phase of it, so to speak. And it all started with the rescue. It did. It all, it all started with, with wanting to adopt a dog and, and, you know, really first dog of my adult life kids were babies and, and, you know, just, just, it all started with the love of a dog. I, that's probably a, a book we could all write. Yeah. That's awesome. What, um, what do you enjoy? Uh, I know this is going to be very hard for you to answer like so early in the podcast, but what do you enjoy doing more? Do you enjoy training, handling or grooming? Hmm. 
Well, I need a moment to think about that. These <laughs> days, these days, but my, my husband and I, together with um, my son, Josh, daughter-in-law, Amanda, um, and then my daughter, Brittany, is very integral as well to our, our businesses, our, our grooming and daycare. Mm-hmm. Um, we really are a, a village. And um, they very much hold the fort down, which allows me to take on bigger projects and some things in the industry that I'm passionate about. So now when I do get to put my scrubs on and step up to a grooming table and those are great, great days for me. Um, when, when I'm grooming every day, when I was grooming every day, my best days were the days where I I got to train a dog or, or work with an owner. When I was training every day, you know, I might've said it was meeting the owners and making those personal connections. So in, in reality, I can honestly say, Ryan, that I absolutely am still three decades in, in love with every single aspect of, of the pet industry and the pet service industry specifically. Right. Yeah, it's awesome. And there's no sign of you slowing down either. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I was going to say, every train uh, has a stop at some point, but... <laughs> Uh, well, I, they're, yeah, they're, they're still putting coal on your engine. You are not slowing <laughs> down anytime soon. And we'll get to that too, because I know that you took over the, you know, a uh, big portion of the Atlanta Pet Fair as far as the World Pet Association. So um, when you decided that you were going to be a dog groomer, what was that, that big obstacle that you were able to get over to, to start now I'm going to I'm going to back up to a question you asked me or in a roundabout way and I'm going to talk about really why and how I decided to be a dog groomer because I am a, a behaviorist really by trade and and that's what I identify as and I um owned and operated boarding kennels for many many years a couple of decades out of this experience and Frankly, like many of us, I just started grooming out of necessity. You know, our our groomer in our kennel could not keep up. And it started, you know, with like, like many, many of us, it was just a legacy sort of an education as far as um, learning to bathe the dogs properly, then do the D sheds. I did show uh, dogs for years. So I I had Shelties and Australian Shepherds and then later German Shepherds and today uh, show wire-haired Beachless. So I moved to the, the wire coats in later years out of the herding breeds. But, you know, really just through learning on my own dogs, I became a dog groomer out of necessity of keeping up with the client's needs. Um, like every groomer, when I think about the very first little groom that I did all alone, without guidance from my personal mentor and teacher, I would be so embarrassed if a picture existed today of that groom. (laughs) Well, I happen to have that picture. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Thankfully, this is a (laughs) podcast. (laughs) Oh, we we put up a YouTube uh, video. So I don't know, maybe I'll ask um, your daughter-in-law, Amanda, and see if she can dig one up. (laughs) Oh, wow. So, you know, that said, you know, I, I became a groomer out of, of, being a business owner and meeting a need that my clients had. Um, And through the years with the boarding kennels and doing the training, grooming is where I returned to 
frankly, because of the artistic expression, I, my brain is always going and, um, you know, no day in a grooming shop is ever like another. Every day is a new day. Right. Yeah. We, um, that's something that, you know, um, for those of you who know, I'm, I'm a full-time teacher and it's the same exact thing. That's one of the things that I love about it is no two days are exactly the same. And you hit the nail on the head. One of the things I really love about the whole grooming industry, uh, now that I've been five years into it with my wife is the fact that there's really no two cuts exactly the same. You might have your, uh, you know, your continental cuts or whatever on your poodles that you kind of have to do the guidelines, but everyone has their own little unique spin that they can do on it. And I mean, look, Asian fusion is still a pretty new concept that was just kind of created. So um, yeah, I, I think it's definitely an avenue for artistic people. And then that's, I know it's not always like seen as the most glamorous aspect of uh, the grooming competitions, but the creative grooming is just amazing to watch. And, and, you know, it, whether it's the, the mixed freestyle or I, I'm a terrier lover, I, I love the wire coated classes. And um, now when I do groom, most of my days are, are spent um, on the other end of a hand strip. But even those, those classes allow for such an, a personal expression of, of how you create. And, uh, you know, I think that's why there are so many creative personalities in the grooming industry is it, it allows you to embody that in your everyday. Right. Absolutely. Now we'll go back a little bit. You mentioned that you, first and foremost, you kind of tag yourself as a canine behaviorist more than anything else. So when you first started training dogs, how, how did you get into that aspect of it? Well, it did start with, with my massive failure and by flunking my very first obedience class with my great Dane. <laughs> oh, I did that. I did that with my, with my rescue yeah. back in the day too. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> so whether it was, I was a glutton for punishment or I, you know, just a dedication to, to, I looked at myself when I said, I, I'm not going to fail at this. I, I, we can do this. Um, this, this dog and I can do this together. And I practiced and, you know, just really had to dig deep and even dig, be creative and dig deeper than, than the toolbox that my teacher was giving me. And I went from the second class graduating at the top of our class. And within under six months from that time period, I was teaching obedience classes and, and just really discovered that I truly had the ability to help people learn to speak differently to their dogs um, I, the, the traditional, what I call cookie cutter obedience immediately was not something that I gravitated toward. And I saw, saw dogs failing at that. And it became very important to me to try to help dogs succeed. Um, and I always say every dog that I have participated in my entire career with helping train or assisting an owner I, I go to sleep at night knowing that those are dogs that in many, many cases I have kept in their homes and, and helped that dog, you know, live a long, happy life. So um, long story short, you know, back to when I started, um, even from the very beginning, I had to get creative and I, I had to find a better way to speak to my dog. And that's really sort of been, been my banner or my mantra now for several decades. And we, 
you know, we discussed when we were in Hershey together, we mentioned how we definitely want to have an episode on groomer safety, which we definitely will in the future. But one of the things I want to touch on now, uh, just because we are talking about just the, the, the behavior of the dogs and speaking to the dogs and, and basically acting with the dogs the correct way. How much of a factor would you say that groomer safety is in terms of knowing how to handle the dogs on the table? Oh, Ryan, I think it is probably the end-all be-all at this point. When I, I'll start it at the not, not savory part of, of this topic, which when I do see, unfortunately, in this social media age, if there's ever anything that comes out on one of the social media outlets with a dog that has received an injury or been abused or even a difficult groom, I am immediately taking that groom, watching that video in slow motion, watching the handling. And it is, it is my personal belief that so many of these cases end up being either tragedy or not a positive outcome simply because there is a moment where the groomer could have said, this animal exceeds my skill set. It is not safe for me or the animal. Or they, they just, there's always a moment that I see in those that, that the groom could have gone differently. Mm -hmm. So to answer your question, I, I truly believe that for the safety of the groomers in, you know, receiving injuries and the safety of the pets, that every single working groomer in America should have a good foundation um, to build on of safe handling skills. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I took the uh, Bather certification course in uh, at PetQuest in Ohio with Terry DiMarino. Yeah, that's a great course, and Terry does a great job with that course. Yeah, I um, and uh, you know I don't know if I'm ever going going to become a groomer. I know my wife is is definitely on board if I want to do that, but I know as a bather I can I can help my wife in the shop when she needs help. And that was definitely something that Terry brought up a few times, even with her in the video saying, you know, like right then, you know, she's pointing out, I, I know that the dog is uncomfortable here. So I just give it some time. And then you can basically see uh, if the dog is okay the next time that she puts her hand next to it, or if the dog is still nervous. And that was one of the things that she pointed out to somebody in the crowd who was asking questions. And she's like, if you're doing this or this, the dog is not comfortable. And that's when the dog will usually try to bite or you're, you're forcing something that shouldn't be forced. And I took that definitely to heart because I, I, if I am in the shop, one of two things happens right away because I'm not there all the time. The dog is either very uncomfortable getting out of the cage to go get the bath. And if that's the case, I go get my wife because they're familiar with my wife. Or when they're in the bathtub, if they look like they are just not comfortable with me putting, turning them to a certain side so I can get both sides of them, obviously, in the bath, in the bath I just go in and I have the privilege to go get my wife because she handles those dogs normally. For the most part, it's 90%, no problem. But I'm not taking a chance with those 10% for either myself or the dog getting injured. So you definitely have to you have to pay attention to those little tiny, you can tell, you really can, you can tell. And it's just a matter of a groomer or a bather being like, nope, you're going to get this done because I have six more dogs to do and it's just not worth it. 
first I want to say you probably should win husband of the year awards that, that I know, you, right. <laughs> you actually have taken and, and you're investing in your own education. Uh, uh, your, your wife is definitely a, a lucky woman. Thank you. Um, that, that you have an interest in, in helping and, you know, really making a difficult job easier for her. Um, and, you know, you, you kind of touch on something that I've been pretty passionate about, and I do have the opportunity to travel and both with World Pet Association now, but, but also Barkley has been really great with giving me a platform to speak to groomers. And I, I often will tell a story in some of my classes about when I started in this industry 30 some years ago, the people that brought their pets to me knew how animals acted. They, they were animal people. 30 years ago, you know, three decades ago, if you had a pet, you already knew how to feed it. You knew, you know, what veterinarian to take it to. And if you were, you were hiring my services, you pretty much knew what you needed and and what I was going to provide for you. And then about 20 years ago, I, I call it the advent of the dog people. I started seeing in you know, my obedience classes. And and I started having people come in who were researching their breeds. They were making choices based on did their personality fit the dog's personality. And they were really into their their breeds and really into their dogs. So if you got a dog, the next thing you did is you ran to the bookstore and you got the books associated with having a dog. And you really educated yourself. And they called themselves dog people. And then let's say a decade ago, maybe eight years ago, I started to see in our own shops and in my own businesses, people walking in that that just had dogs. And it was all sorts of people. They were people that a decade before would not have probably had a dog in their home as a pet. It really has become almost a hallmark of America. And of course, the statistics, you know, support that with um, the growth of pets in American homes. Sorry to, sorry to cut you off, but what, why do you think that is? You know, I, I think it's, it's as the American dream has grown, as, as, you know, just American Pet Products Association says that millennials are now our primary pet owning demographic with 35% of all U.S. pets being, hold, being owned by millennials. So where I'm headed with that is, and, and I love millennials. The majority of our staff that, that works for us at C-Spot Grooming and Daycare are millennials. Um, they, they keep me young. They keep me smart. They make my world go around. Mm-hmm. But, but that being said, they are not as educated about behavior and not the dogs are being treated in a different way than they were 30 years ago. And, and they're interacting with people in society in, in a different way. And frankly, the expectations for their behavior are different. So I feel like as pet professionals and particularly as groomers, I'll use your, your example of getting the dog out of the cage. Um, I just feel like that there is a disconnect sometimes between the owners and the pets and the pet service providers. I can't tell you how many times that's happened to me and I've had to step out to the lobby and let an owner know we had some difficulty during the service and every groomer here will probably roll their eyes or, you know, give me a a yes, preach to the choir moment of it happens every day. And the owners are shocked that, that their pet was maybe not 
a willing participant in the grooming service. So, you know, I, I recently wrote some articles for Groomer to Groomer magazine called Crisis in the Grooming Industry. Um, but as this pet growth continues to explode, we have a pet owning public who understands this animal less than they ever have in the in the entire history of probably the man-canine relationship. And we have a pet servicing public who is coming from much of that, that subset of um, the, the people who are servicing pets today were raised in, in this new society of, of pets, you know, kind of just being our, our good buddies and, and part of our family. So I, as a dog lover, am seeing what I, I call just some serious, um, I don't know, maybe the need to make sure that the human-canine relationship stays on the right track um, because I don't want to see the animal misunderstood. Right. And I, I might catch some flack for this, but here's my theory. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'd love to hear it. Well, so I grew up where I, you know, I, I had one dog. Um, and then when she passed away, we would wait for a while and then we would get another dog and it was always one. Well, then when I was uh, with my, with my ex fiance, we rescued we rescued one dog. And then of course, you know, you feel kind of bad because maybe you're at, you're working a, a bit more because let's be honest, back in the day, both of the couple, the, both the man and woman weren't working as much together. They, one was usually at the house and that's just the way it was. Well, when both of you are working, you want to get the other dog a little bit more company. So one dog became more of two or three. And uh, you know, fast forward to now where my, my wife, you know, she shows dogs, she grooms dogs, she breeds dogs. So we have seven. I have my two rescues that I had when we first met. And then of course we have a puppy from a litter. We have our three dogs that we, um, that we breed out and they're all health tested and everything. We do everything by the book, but my theory is, and this is just for a blanket of America. And again, it's just a theory. So please don't bash me, but I feel like because social media in the past decade, you're talking about when Facebook became really popular, but more importantly, Instagram, especially um, where you have these pet celebrities and some of them are not cute. They are just really ugly dogs that are just, they got a cute personality. And I think what that's doing is it's driving more people that are younger than both you and I, you know, 22 and 21 years old. Oh, um, thank you again. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it's driving people to adopt, which is fantastic. But I think it's also in the back of their mind thinking, hey, I think I can get a lot of followers or social media with this particular dog um, because they look funky. Or, And this is just me because I'm seeing a lot on Instagram. Um, again, kudos to a lot more of the rescues, but I don't think the whole, like you said, I don't think the whole behavior aspect is coming to play. So we have no idea how those dogs are reacting when they're in social. social well, and I'll take it a little beyond, I almost mentioned the social media aspect, but I'll take it. I, I don't think that you're completely off base on that. And I'll take it back a step further. 30 years ago, if someone did have a question or an issue with, with their, their pet, they 
had a pretty reliable, solid resource to go to. And then came about 20 years ago with the dog people and it became a little more faddish to have the dog and what was your breed? Does it match your family? And about that point, you might have two of my former clients sitting and having coffee together. And they may say, well, how did you potty train your dog? How did you potty train your dog? What food are you feeding? And suddenly people started to rely on, on what I would call not the traditional resources to get their information about how to care for their pet. Mm-hmm. And, and whether that is aligned with that's what those two proverbial clients sitting over coffee, they might've discussed how they were raising their children might've discussed, you know, oh, my child got to be in school. I'm, you know, what would you do? What would you do? And at the same time over their coffee, then suddenly it became, well, I have this breed of dog and, you know, these are what I'm, I'm going through. Rather than relying on trusted, reliable, tried and true experienced pet professionals. So Again, I'm sure every groomer listening to this can relate to that moment when a client walks in and says, well, my friend's doodle got this haircut and therefore I want this haircut. Not to mention the dogs have different genetics, different, you know, coat types, different maintenance schedules, different amount of investment of time from their owners. But because it became coffee talk, or now let's call our coffee talk, social media talk. It, it became, I think, customary to get your advice, not from a professional. So I think a lot of, of us groomers, unfortunately, often have to dispense advice, whether it's behavior or grooming or anything, even on how often to get their dog's nails trimmed. We have to sometimes compete with the contradictory advice that these same owners are getting in the carpool line at school. Right. Exactly. That didn't exist before. So. Yeah. It's, um, I mean, I don't think there's, I don't think there's a slowing down either. Um, I mean, you know, obviously projections are what they are, but I'll give you a statistic, Ryan. This is a little terrifying. And it comes from the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics. They predict that our industry, which is the the pet care industry, all all pet services, needs to recruit, train, and employ 64,000 more new pet groomers by 2026. Mm -hmm. I read that. just, Just to keep the American appetite for pet ownership. And that is if not a single groomer out there today leaves this industry. So 64,000 more groomers need to be employed and trained and in place just so that every new pet in an American home that needs services will have access to those services by 2026. Personally, I'm watching the calendar turn every day as we before very long are going to be in 2020, wondering how in the world we are going to find, train, and viably employ that many people in an industry which requires the caretaking of a live animal that is also a species that we understand completely. So, yeah. And let's, let's not forget the fact that 
it, it's it's probably coming right around the corner that everything's going to be mandated to be certified. So, um, which is a good thing. It's a good thing. So uh, the, the statistics that you just said, I definitely read. And of course, you know, being in the industry, you're excited because you're like, okay, that's, that's more customers. That's more opportunity, but it's really scary when you have a shortage. Um, then you got a big problem. You have, you have dogs that aren't cared for. You have groomers that aren't trained properly. Um, and then all of a sudden you start to go backwards as an industry. And I, I have mixed emotions. My first, and I'm always think of everything from a business standpoint. I, I have been self-employed in, in the industry until recently for many, many years. And my first thought process is, yay, we all just got a raise. <laughs> yeah. But then Immediately, the reality of what you just said does set in. And, mm-hmm. and I think as an industry on a much larger scale, we have to really start to bat the hatches and provide for the education, the safe handling, and, and really the employment of this many new providers. Um, because every pet does deserve a safe, reliable you know, service, whether it's boarding, training, grooming, whatever the pet service is, every single pet deserves to experience, you know, quality, safe service. Absolutely. And that that goes back to us all being animal lovers in the first place. Um, Correct. So I'm going to have a very tough question squeezed in uh, right now. Hey, you told me this would be painless. Well, I I lied. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Okay. So uh, and we'll, right after this, we'll get into the books that you have written. But so I'm going to give you a list of, of seven nouns, and you're going to have to pick the one that is the most difficult. So you have author, mother, educator, owner, speaker, groomer, handler. Which one is the most difficult in your opinion in your 30 plus years in the industry? So we have author, mother, educator, owner speaker, groomer, and handler? Oh, this is so hard. Well, I'm going to be frank. The most difficult is also the one that gives me the most pride. And whether those two things, we, you can pay for my therapy later to decide. (laughs) I already know your answer now. (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's got to be mother because, you know, I've, I've grown in this industry. I, I, raised a family while being employed in this industry. My children were um, truly raised right alongside me, you know, in the boarding kennel and attended obedience classes. And, uh, you know, I am one of my proudest things in life is that that them plus my daughter-in-law, Amanda, are all career pet service professionals now and very, very successful at it. Um, you know, every one of them in their own right is amazing in both the knowledge and, and truly the passion and the character. If I could say that that's my proudest thing, it really is, but it's also been extremely difficult to balance and achieve that. And I will say that uh, they, as well as my husband challenge me every single day to to really live my passion and, and do it well. Right. Well, that's kind of the answer that I thought that you would pick. Um, 
and that's why I threw that in there. You know, you have the you have the non-pet industry one that's the most difficult because it's it's just not an easy task. And I see it firsthand. You know, Jazair had to take the two kids to work for a whole year. Uh, you know, we had a little area at the shop before we took them to daycare, and I can't even imagine having to groom all day and your kids are wanting a snack or they need to be changed or it's nap time or they're yelling and you're with a client. So, um, honey, if you're listening, you get wife of the year. If I get husband of the year. <laughs> and, and you know what I want to say to you though, in retrospect of that, she is giving them, you guys as parents are giving them an absolute gift that so many parents do not have the opportunity because not only do they get to see the, uh, the opportunity of what is hard work and what does that look like? So she's, she is gifting them the legacy of hard work. Mm-hmm. She's also gifting them the legacy of watching their mother be amazing at something. So, you know, she's, she's setting the standard, you guys together are setting the standard for your family. So kudos to you. Thank you very much. Thank you. And, uh, you know, speaking of Amanda, I have not had the privilege to meet her in person yet. Um, and it's funny, you guys, I don't know what it is. I actually thought that she was your birth daughter. Um, until I hope she's listening because we, I, we tease all the time. I have two daughters and, and it's Amanda and Brittany and Josh, the son is just thrown in there for the bonus. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, but you know, I know Jazair spoke really highly of Amanda when they traveled to, um, Pittsburgh for IJA competition. And, um, this goes out to all the moms out there who are groomers. Uh, I have already talked to Amanda on Facebook and I talked to my wife and I said, listen, give the kids to your husband. I'll take the kids for my wife and you guys need to go have a day where you guys go get pedicures and stuff because they deserve it for sure. Yeah. Let's, let's have national groomer pedicure day. Just even the the dog moms are allowed to tag along as well because uh, (laughs) groomers just do not really. um, I think they are the unsung heroes of the pet service world. So yeah, agreed. I often say that if, if vets are considered the king of pet services, groomers absolutely own the, um, the right of being the queens of the pet service world. <laughs> we keep the world going. Totally agree. What, what, uh, tell us a little bit about the books that you have penned. Well, um, with really in the pet industry, I, I did write a children's book that, that was a labor of love for me several years ago, but, but really the Rosetta Bone is a project that I co-authored with my son, Josh. Um, so Josh Aaron and I wrote the Rosetta Bone, and it represents a, about a year of actually getting it into written form, but a lifetime of, as I said, speaking to dogs. And we chose to call it the Rosetta Bone because truly it allows people to reevaluate the way that they interact with animals and, and learn how to interact with animals on the actual dog's body language level, which we're all pet professionals. So, you know, most of us pride ourselves on, on being able to work with a dog. But that said, it just allows you to reach new levels of communication with the dog by truly tapping into understanding what they are thinking. Mm-hmm. 
And you so, were you were nominated for a Barclay Award for that, correct? Uh, that is correct. Uh, we were nominated for Book of the Year and very, very proud of that. It, it has sold well. It is available on Amazon as well as uh, Barclay's website. But um, very, very proud of that. And, and we definitely have plans to follow it up with a Rosetta Bone 2, 3, and possibly a 4. Awesome. That's really cool. I um, No, I, I definitely... I know that that's not your only book. What were some of your other books that you? Well, as it really is the only book that, that we have authored. So um, the Rosetta bone, I have. um, You write a lot of articles. I I apologize. You write a lot of articles. I do. I was going to say, I have been a monthly columnist. Now if we're talking about writing in general, I'm always got a project going or something along those lines. And I've been a monthly columnist with Groomer to Groomer magazine now probably four years headed into maybe my fourth year or so um my my archives for groomer to groomer magazine are getting a little bit big at this point but uh, sounds like it could make a book there chris <laughs> maybe my column name is grooming uh business basics and i try to really tackle tackle subjects that um are going to help whether it's a groomer standing in a shop alone you know to understand uh, about the services they're offering or client communication all the way to, uh, you know, ownership and, um, groomer pay has been a big topic that I've covered, um, benefits, retirement, um, and, and just really everything related to the grooming industry. And then what was your most recent, uh, article for, I believe it would be, I guess the December groomer to groomer. Oh, that's one of my favorites. I kind of, it's a little shorter than usual, but I actually just um, did the uh, 12 days of grooming. Mm-hmm. And I, um, I called it the 12 days of groomer giving. And I came up with the concept of groomers just choosing 12 days in the month of December and on each day giving themselves something back. And an example is on the first day of Christmas, I asked groomers to give themselves a break, to actually take time to sit down for lunch, walk away from their table, take a deep breath, and truly pat themselves on the back because they work in such a high stress, high demand career. So I I just really wanted groomers to take a moment and celebrate themselves. Yeah, that's awesome. We, uh, We definitely applaud all the groomers out there especially this time of year when you know people are bringing their dog in for maybe the second time all year um, yep it, it tis the season correct <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely um let's see so you also started the akc safe handling course as well as the barkley handling certification course tell us a little bit about that Yeah, so it's a pretty natural segue if you spend about five minutes in a room alone with me and and don't ask me to be quiet. You're you're probably going to get an opinion on on handling and the safety <laughs> that our that our industry needs to bring to our services, um, because we all have an opportunity every groom, every moment, every day to make sure that every pet that we are handled is handled, you know, present with our our minds present on what we're doing and with the thought on that pet safety and. 
So I was, was fortunate enough to be given an opportunity to work with the American Kennel Club and develop their AKC Safe Handling Certificate course, which is very soon, is available at uh, the trade shows in person now. And very soon it's going to be available on their Canine College as an online class. So groomers everywhere can add that to their AKC Safe um, Certificate. It's the first of their continuing education classes after the Safety in the Salon course. Awesome. So very, very happy to be able to take my, my decades of learning how, frankly, as a, as a behaviorist, I, I've been first with handling more difficult dogs or, you know, really trying to, to work with owners. Uh, the majority of the dogs that I have trained in all of that time are the dogs that needed training. So with that comes, uh, you know, a lot of education of learning how to do things differently. And a lot of that's represented in, in those handling courses. Excellent. Yeah. Cole in the engine, Chris, you're not going anywhere for a while. <laughs> uh, so let's speak a little bit about your awards and uh, even your nominations. Uh, w- which would you say that you are, I know that you won in 2017, but what, what are you most proud of as far as either being nominated or for winning? You know, I was fortunate to win up and coming speaker of the year. And I have been nominated for Speaker of the Year twice, Journalist of the Year twice, um, the Book of the Year. But, but truly, my, I, the pinch me moment to this day is still being nominated for contribution to the industry. And, and that is the moment, that was in 2018, that I realized that I actually had an opportunity to make a difference, whether it's for groomers and their everyday life to make sure they have fair wages, safe workplaces, whether it's for dogs to make sure that every groom, you know, is handled compassionately and safely, or, you know, just make sure the dogs are understood through the Rosetta Bone. Um, when, when I did receive the nomination for contribution to the industry, that, that, that is to this day one of the most um, special awards that I have ever been nominated for. Well, you are truly making a positive impact in the industry. So I want to thank you for that. Um, who would you say either past or present is an idol that you look up to in the industry? Um, oh, there's a big list of there. Um, you know, I, I could, uh, I'll list really some of those in a moment, but I'll share a pinch me moment. I recently had an opportunity to have a call with Sam Cole uh, talking about some of the the issues in the grooming industry and and legislation and and just some necessary changes that uh, everybody is looking toward in the future. And and it was a lovely phone call and Sam is wonderful. And and we laughed and, and, you know, talked and we bounced ideas off of each other and I thought when I hung up the phone, pinch me now, I'm actually talking to Sam Cole and he's <laughs> listening to my ideas. So I'm super, super, that, that was my pinch me now moment. But, you know, I mean, there, we're, we live in a time right now where there are living, walking icons and yep. idols. I mean, from Suzeko to Olga, Riza, all of these people 
are absolutely so talented and so willing to share that talent with every single person that they meet. Mm-hmm. I, I cannot imagine a better time for the industry to be going through this growth because we just really have access to people that are selfless with the knowledge that they're willing to give. Well, I have a quick story to share with you. So, uh, you know, in Hershey, I had just started, um, I'm even trying to remember, I might've had my very first episode of Grooming Unleashed right around there. And um, so I watched the, the, the awards uh, on the Groomer TV that night. And um, so I saw that Sam won the achievement award, you know, lifetime achievement award or whatever it was uh, originally called and ignorant me. And I told you before we, we went live, I said, this is a benefit of me doing the interviews because I am asking these general questions that some people are a little afraid to ask because they don't want to come across as, you know, unintelligent or whatever. So let me, let me take the brunt of that. Um, (laughs) And Once so, again, um, you're a great husband. That's, that's, <laughs> well, thanks. I, so I actually, uh, I went to the Barkley counter and uh, I saw him there and I'm talking about Sam Cole. And yes. I was like, you know, let me go ahead and ask this, this sweet young man uh, a little bit about his, his history and everything. And we talked for about 45 minutes. Now, granted, I went to the Barkley counter because I was supposed to do a live thing for Groom Source at the time. So I was late for that because I just really didn't want to stop talking to Mr. Cole. And I mentioned the podcast and everything. And I don't know what it was, but if you ever have a chance to talk to Sam, um, he just has these like, they're very it's their youthful eyes. I can't explain it. He just, he has this joy in his eyes that when he, he's so passionate about what he's talking about, you don't want to let him go. Um, so I definitely know what you're talking about, but again, to me, he was just a normal person because I'm not, I'm not someone that's deep in the industry. Um, I may be in 20, 30 years from now, but for right now, he was somebody who I really just enjoyed having a conversation with. And um, I, I plan on trying to get him onto the show. And I, I don't know what it was, but when I talked about the podcast, it was like, he was like a, you know, like a 15 year old boy. He was so excited to hear about that. So um, yeah, pretty great, great taste in guests. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I'm talking to one right now. So that's, that's a, a definite truth. Um, what would you say are some of the, thank you. What, what are some of the best resources that you yourself have used to further your career, such as a book, a video, podcast, seminar? Um, you know, the, I will say the trade show education, and I know we're going to talk about Atlanta Pet Fair in just a moment and Super Zoo, but the trade show education is, is truly an unheralded, untapped um, amount of information. You can, you can literally go to any of the, the trade shows today and come away with so much information. I, I tell the people that come to my classes, at least go home from every class and try to implement two relevant items. You know, it's just, it's just mind boggling the, the amount of information walking around the trade shows that, that you can get in those classes. Um, you know, that being said, there are great, great 
publications available. And I, I'm gonna kind of go back to my roots here a little bit in that just the animal itself, the dogs themselves teach us everything we wanna know. We can go and we can, you know, listen to podcasts and we can have our favorite educators and, and have our favorite shows. But at the end of the day, sitting in the quiet with just you and the dog in whichever discipline, whether you're a dog trainer, whether you are a groomer, whether it's fluffing your own poodle, whether it's scissoring, you know, a style, just just truly spending the time, the, the long hours and the quiet hours um, alone with the dog. That's what we all do it for. And that that to me is where the greatest inspiration is found. Put me in a room alone with the dog and I have the best ideas ever. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. They don't argue back with you. It's great. No, they 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 always love my ideas. <laughs> my dog is my biggest fan. <laughs> hey, look, it's kept you in the industry for a very long time. So uh, they are giving you sound advice. I suppose so. I, I've got a good one right now. So. <laughs> uh, imagine that you're a new groomer. And uh, so if you've listened to any of our podcasts, you know that some of these questions are, are, are definitely something that we do quite a bit. Sure. They're little fun questions. Imagine that you're a new groomer and you only have $500 to spend on new tools. So you have nothing else, but you, are ha you have $500. What do you spend it on? Is this the part where I say go to loyalty pet products and let them? <laughs> oh my God. I knew, I knew <laughs> I got you on the show for a reason. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no. Much. So, so <laughs> truly my advice for a new groomer and, and it's one of, one of my, I do use this because our, our C-spot groomers, um, the majority of them, we do hire outside, but the majority of our groomers we train from, you know, we raise them as baby groomers. Mm -hmm. Um, and we encourage everyone to find a shear that suits their style and it suits their eye and they're comfortable with it. And for every groomer, my advice on their first investment is, is to invest in an absolutely stellar pair of shears. And, Any particular and model them. as far as like straights, curves, thinners, which, which ones exactly? Uh, you know, I make all of our students learn in straights and we add the curves later. Mm -hmm. And But that's going to reveal my age a little bit because I could tell stories of grooming dogs before even we had access to really good shears. And I mean, back in the day, there were no, you know, not chunkers and blenders. And I thought I was fancy when I got my first set of thinners. So I think that every groomer that learns on a set of straights, everything else is, is just like candy. It, it's icing to be able to do it. So I, I actually um, believe every groomer should have a lovely set of seven or eight inch straights. Okay. What else? Um, let's see. So let's say that, let's say that those nice pair of shears is 150 bucks. I was doing the math. I was going to say, now, how much did I just spend? So my, I mentioned that I do a lot of hand strips, mm -hmm. but I think that every groomer should have a really good undercoat rake. And that's not an expensive tool. You can buy a great one for 15 to $20. 
Um, and I think that every groomer should have a product they can't live without. Um, and whether, and I don't mean a shampoo, whether it's a great conditioner, a scissoring spray, but I think that every single groomer can absolutely amplify and, and really make their grooms pop by finding something that elevates their natural skill set. Um, and, you know, I think that this is going to be a strange answer, but I think that part of that money, that $500, should be reserved for education. Um, awesome. I, like I think that. that they should get a subscription. There are tons of free sources, but the paid sources that are available today are mind-boggling how good they are. So whether they invest in a trade show class, invest in a subscription, I think they should do that. And I think every groomer should take themselves for a nice massage. Awesome. I love it. I love it. And I think I've spent all of my money. <laughs> <laughs> um, so to this point, uh, what has been your proudest moment in grooming? So I know that you mentioned that you were really proud with some of your accolades, but as far as the grooming aspect, what's been your proudest moment? Um, you know, probably it's not going to be super, super exciting, but my proudest moment to this point is when I passed my um, national dog groomer certification. I got a really high score. Um, I really, really knocked my terriers out of the ballpark. And I, I, after having done it so long, I really kind of drug my feet on, on doing the practicals. And, um, I, I did so because my team encouraged me to go ahead and do it. And I was really proud of the grooms that I did. Um, and, and the scores that I got. So I, I'm, I'm going to actually say probably, um, it had to be a, a, one of the practical certification things. So that or just preparing my own dogs for the dog show. Um, I have wire-haired Vichelas, which are a hand-strip breed. The coat is similar if some, not many people are familiar with the breed uh, to, say, an Irish Terrier. Um, and just frankly, the old saying about the cobbler's children, you know, need shoes. Always the groomer's dogs need um grooming and being able to maintain uh my own dog's wire coats so that they they stay in good wire and can compete and you know I, they really are good breed ambassadors and always are pulled and, and have beautiful coats that that gives me pride i i take pride in my own dogs fantastic yeah i i my mind was kind of going a little bit because i started to think as a teacher and I started to think about, you know, how they have courses where they teach to the SAT and things like that. So you can pass it. And I was getting ready, like I was getting excited. And I was like, I wonder if anybody has ever like taught a course to pass the test. And then I started thinking, well, that's what those online, you know, subscriptions are for. If you want to look up any particular breed or any way to to get a certain trim or whatever that, that it's available right there just by searching. Correct. Um, yeah. In, in most cases and you know, then it comes down to, I, I like to use the word I, I used this recently and someone questioned me on it of, of legacy groomers, ultimately whether a groomer learns in an Academy or goes through a school, we all still come out into a grooming shop 
and get knee deep in the trenches and truly still are learning to do what we do and learning to create by just doing it with our own hands. It's what, what we're making. So that being said, for everyone that is, you know, preparing and, and doing any kind of a practical, there, there are the hours and hours and hours of just practice on your own and learning to take the um, education that you pick up cerebrally and turn it into your own handiwork. Okay, I got a great question for you that I was not planning on asking. Oh, no. No, it's a good one. It's a good one. So it took uh, about two full years of me really prying to get my wife to finally compete. And we'll get to a question about, you know, pushing people into competition when they should be competing. Um, But finally, you know, she caught the bug. She's definitely addicted, which is a good thing because she's super talented. And um, now I'm trying to get her to, to take those tests for certification. And, you know, she's, it's the same type of thing, like, oh, I'm not ready yet. So what would you say is definitely beneficial for getting your testing done? So, you know, I'm going to take a fairly agnostic viewpoint on this because whichever of the processes that that you choose to move forward with, um, we are largely an unlicensed, unregulated industry. And I say largely because there might be some birds here and there, some boroughs in New York and, and definitely California is on the forefront of that. But, but largely as a nation, we're unlicensed and unregulated. So I've seen your wife's grooms and, and I've seen her compete and she is an amazing groomer. Thank you. This is an, this is an easy one. And I would, would do the same with any of my staff when they look at me and say, but why? But, right. but why should I? And it's because you can. In an unlicensed, unregulated world, the fact that you can do it and do it well and separate yourself and really elevate yourself, any elevation of a groomer is an elevation of the industry, even if it's one man at a time and one step at a time. So my it's a fairly simple answer, but it really is because you can. No, it's, it's really well said. And, and I also feel, and let me know if you, if you disagree with this, but I feel when things do start getting mandated, the prices are going to skyrocket to get your testing because then it has to be done. Correct. It's hard to say. I think every state, you know, we do live in the United States of America and um, I think we're a long way off from any federal I, I don't foresee anything federal coming, although we did recently have a, a you know, animal cruelty is now a, a, nat, a felony. Felon, yep. Yeah, so I think those are great strides. But that being said, as far as any sort of workforce uh, development and that sort of thing, that will remain on a state level. So I think every state is going to look at it differently. My viewpoint on the entire legislation um, issue is, that if groomers clean our own house, no one will come in and clean up for, or, and have to clean that for us. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, as, as an industry, it is naive to presume that it is going to remain um, stagnant or, or unlicensed and unregulated for long. You know, it's, society has changed. The role of the pet in the American home has changed. And I think it is a natural step. So I, I would say it's coming. 
Yeah, I, I, I agree. And it's weird. Uh, it's a gut feeling, but that, that year of 2026, I can't let it go. I feel yeah. like, I feel like by 2026, it is going to be, uh, it's, yeah. Uh, yeah, and, I, that's just, and not, not anything ready yet to, to kind of roll out on, on a full basis, so to speak, but you mentioned it and you're aware I was fortunate enough to be offered a position with the World Pet Association mm-hmm. and I am the uh, director of grooming and a lot of people do not realize that WPA as they're known uh, they they do produce Super Zoo uh, which is most groomers bucket list grooming show trip it is the mecca of grooming shows um, and they also produce Atlanta Pet Fair, which is, I, I like to say, it's a great old granddad of a show um, <laughs> held in, in Atlanta. It's a great show. And um, last year, Atlanta Pet Fair was the largest grooming competition in North America. So that being said, that's what WPA is known for. But a lot of people do not realize that it is a not-for-profit. And that organization is dedicated to uh, people and the pets that serve them and everything from pet retailers, but they also have taken an, a great interest in groomers and what the industry needs. And, and WPA is taking a really good look at how to help bring the grooming industry together on some of these fronts. So um, a large part of my acceptance of the position as director of grooming was the ability to really kind of pick up the baton that Judy Breton had carried for so long and so well, and and really sort of see see this this grooming industry to a better place by 2026. Right. So and WPA being a not for profit um, definitely has their their heart and their soul, and the the board is absolutely committed to um, you know all of the groomer causes. For those that are listening, what are the dates in March so that people can possibly go to Atlanta and go to this trade show? Yeah, so the Atlanta Pet Fair uh, this year in March is going to be held um, at at the Georgia International Convention Center, which is an absolute fabulous venue. And um, it is held March the 12th through the 15th. And um, we, we've got some really, really exciting new uh, things. We are offering the first hands-on workshop. So on Thursday, examples would be um, we have, uh, they're all model dogs, but, but you're uh, a fee for attending one of the workshops. You get to leave with your model dog, but you are working alongside uh, educators such as Suzeko and Jonathan David um, and Ann Francis from Andes. Um, Dr. Cliff uh, Favor is going to be doing a pet detectives class. So you actually get to be a detective and do a case study that day on a potential grooming client that may come in with a pet with skin and coat issues. That sounds Dr. interesting. Yeah, Dr. Dale Sanson with Pet Ag is going to be coming in and teaching groomers hands-on. They get to be scientists for the day and they get to learn to deformulate shampoo and deformulate conditioner. So Atlanta this year is all about experiences and it's about um, immersive learning. Yeah, we're definitely excited to, to, to be a vendor there this year and um, it'll be our first time and we're definitely looking forward to it. And I, 
I have a, uh, a, a secret. It's a good secret, but you'll see it uh, when, uh, when obviously Atlanta Pet Fair is there, but it'll be on the stage. And no, I am not grooming, but... You're, you're going to make us wait? Uh, I, I am. You know what? I think people should, should go to actually see what the, the big surprise is, but Wow! really, really excited about it. Well, I'll tell you, Chris, I'll tell you off the air, but, um, I think it's just, um, it's something that I'm very, very passionate about and I will be announcing it in 2020, but it's something I've been wanting to do for over a year and I'm just, I'm super stoked. So I will, uh, you guys should definitely go to Atlanta Pet Fair in March. Um, I've heard nothing but great things. And uh, so, yeah, we've got some new things going on, too. We've got uh, for the first time there ever, we have the Extreme Duo class, which is um, kind of a take on our friends version of the dual duel that they do in Canada. And um, so there will be a pair of groomers creating a style during our networking party. Um, And we've got teams that have signed up that are, you know, getting their theme and they'll be bribing the judges uh, as the class goes. I've heard about that. So, <laughs> that is anything goes. And we have a really exciting class that I personally am excited about while a corporation is sponsoring it, but it is the Clipper Classic. And the entire style uh, during that particular contest on the dog is created using clippers only. Um, clippers or clippers with snap-on combs. And the stylists and the competitors only pick up their shears the last 10 minutes of the class. I can't remember if Jazair signed up for that or not. Cause I remember she signed up for something. She's like, Oh, I'm crazy for signing up for this, but she was super excited that she got in for it. So I think that was it because it's just, it's, it's, it's really challenging you to be outside the box, which is fun. Um, and uh, I would love to be a uh, guest judge on the one where they bribe the judges. That's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be a fun night for so sure. Work, so. your, work your magic on that, Chris. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Uh, Get in line. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I know. I know. What, what's the biggest mistake that you've made and uh, definitely learned from? You know, it's probably, it, it would have to be as a business owner, which is why I am passionate about the articles that I write for Groomer to Groomer and the Grooming Business Basics. Um, I really think that I've matured, not just as a person, but really as an owner as time has gone. And oddly enough, I'm so passionate about about giving groomers a great work environment and, you know, trying to to make sure that every groomer has has what they need to succeed at their job. I think that there have been times where I have innovated too quickly. And I've, you know, I've been reactive and, and, you know, said, oh, well, that didn't work. Well, let's do this. Well, that didn't work. Let's do this. And, you know, my, my staff has been wonderful. They've been with us a long time. The majority of them have, I say, we've all grown up together. But really, again, one of my, my biggest probably regrets as an owner is, is not probably just taking a pause. There have been moments where I should have held both my thoughts as well as my tongue, as well as, you know, just, just let, let things play out. I, I very much am constantly the fixer. If, if somebody has an issue, my staff relies on me. We laugh about it now, but 
I've had those late night calls when they've had had problems or, or big issues that you would think they would call a friend or, you know, a family member. And I'm always that phone call because I, I have always been quick to fix things for them. Right. So oddly enough, I, I think that maturity has taught me I it's okay to let people go. It's okay to let things go. And it's okay to to not respond sometimes right away. Excellent. That's a good life lesson. What um, I'm going to go ahead and start going through some questions that can be answered a little bit more quickly, and then it'll go right into the speed round. So oh, no. what celebrity's dog would you love to groom to just meet the celebrity? Zac Efron. <laughs> See, I told you you were 22. I, right. I'm, I'm going with it. um being a groomer you're running a salon what is your oh wait oh wait ask me what celebrities dog might not me but our shops have groomed i've got we've got a couple good ones but we have a big one is this uh is this the one in sarasota uh no this is a kentucky shop oh okay all right so what what are some celebrities that you guys have groomed their their pets um we have groomed jennifer lawrence's dog and I had the privilege of training Josh Hutcherson's dog, the actor. Who's and Josh Hutcherson? I'm sorry. He was the co-star with her in the Hunger Games. Oh, okay. Uh, is Peta? Peta. Peta. Gotcha. And we do do um, so wonderful, wonderful uh, client, and he's been a long time client. But uh, Anna Nicole Smith's daughter, Danny Lynn's dog. Or dogs, she has two. So anyway, sorry about that. But no, don't. If I remember, she's she. I saw her on a special like two years ago because unfortunately, you know, Anna Nicole passed away. But she's beautiful, correct? She is. She's a lovely little dog, and I had the privilege of of also uh, training her her second dog, her new little dog. Not new now, but new new to her a couple of years ago. Chris, I was talking about the girl, but you were talking about the dog. <laughs> I'm a groomer. <laughs> I know. I was like, yeah, she's beautiful from what I remember. Cause I know she's still kind of, you know, she's, she's in her late teens, but she definitely has a beautiful facial. Yeah. She's an early teen. Yeah. She's an early teen and she looks like her mama. Well, so. yeah. I just remember her dad, her dad is still definitely in the picture. Um, yeah, he's a great guy. Yeah, he he's he's a good-looking guy as well. But I just remember she was very well-spoken, like totally spoke like a, you know, college. I don't know. Anyways, but of course, she went right to the dog. Um, being a, it, I don't know if I already asked you about your biggest pet peeve. What is your biggest pet peeve that you have being a shop owner? I can't. I can't. Okay, moving on. No. No, people telling me I can't. Oh, I, I, oh, I thought you were saying, well, I, I'm not going to do that to my team. Can't do no, it. No, no. It's, it's whether it's a staff member, whether it's a client, you know, I, I, I don't do what I can't. So everybody can. <laughs> Absolutely. What's the nastiest thing that has happened to you while grooming? Oh, no. <laughs> I don't want to tell you. You want to pass? Yeah, it's really nasty. Pretty much every groomer's nightmare story, and it's that gross, and I had to get a shower. 
Okay. <laughs> um, that's kind of a loaded question. I'll save that one for a little bit. What breed do you groom that forces you out of your comfort zone and why? Um, you know, I would be very far out of my comfort zone if I had to set a pattern, anything except for a German, on a poodle in front of very many people. I would really question my lines. I, I can see the lines and I can appreciate them and I'm surrounded by groomers. Um, you know, Brittany and Amanda have both won poodle classes at, at large shows, everything from Groom Expo to Atlanta Pet Fair. Um, so I'm surrounded by girls that do lovely poodles, but if you ask me to stand in front of them and groom a poodle, I would be mortified. Wow. It just goes to show everyone is different. Absolutely. Everyone is different. I would not have guessed that. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I would do an adorable little, maybe Asian fusion trim, but, but a true bona fide classic walk in the confirmation ring breed pattern. I would have extreme um, stress and nerves over doing that in front of my staff. Wow. And then on the flip side, I bet, are there people at your shop that just, they really get, uh, I guess they become inferior when it becomes, becomes to uh, hand stripping? Yeah, I teach the majority of our groomers that do know how to hand strip, how to, and it's, it's been a, you know, really a, a work of love since I got my, I've had my um, wire coated dogs for five years and I knew how to hand strip prior to that, but, you know, learning to maintain um, one, two, three, a, a couple of them over over a period of time, you, you, you know, learn what works and learn how to keep the coats. And my hand strip clientele had grown fairly large. I do have people that um, come from fairly far away. I've not been able to keep too many of those clients uh, with my new WPA position. Um, but thankfully I've got staff that's been able to step in and, and satisfy them. But what I would say on the hand stripping I just happen to be blessed by being extremely fast. I, I can pull down extremely large dogs and, you know, hand strip a dog extremely quickly. Huh. So don't know where I learned to do that, but it just happens to be from the moment that I started hand stripping, I'm just really fast at it. Gotcha. What advice do you have for groomers who feel that they are not ready to compete, but talent wise they are? Find a mentor, find somebody that they trust would be my advice on that. Um, you know, because if they, if they have somebody that is a mentor that they really trust, that they know is going to give them feedback as far as how, where they truly stand and if they're truly ready, then they'll be able to find the courage to take the leap to do it. But, you know, it's, it's too big of a world to do it alone. Everybody should have someone hold their hand. Totally agree. And there are some amazing people in the grooming industry. Yeah. So, I mean, just plain and simple, find, find a mentor. It, and it doesn't even have to be in the grooming competition world. You know, if you want to start competing with a Westie, find, go to a dog show, find a Westie breeder and, you know, shadow them. Um, you know, the, there are lots and lots of ways to get involved with it and, and gain the knowledge. So, um, you know, 
just just find a mentor. Uh, as I said, there, there's so much knowledge lying out there um, going to waste. What would you like to see happen in the future of the grooming industry? I dream of a world where every dog is safe, every shop has fair pay, um, and the clients appreciate the services that they're given, and they value the skill sets that their groomers have, and, and they're willing to pay, you know, a premium for that. So, you know, does that mean legislation? Does that mean industry certification? Um, that remains to be seen, but I think it, it starts with education. So I guess in short, I would say I dream of a world where all groomers appreciate and receive education that furthers them in their careers. Excellent. And then what would you like to see happen in the future of showing? Um, as in the grooming competitions? Uh, no, sorry. Like showing, uh, competitively, you know, just, um, Um, just in general. So I celebrate the purebred dog. I, I celebrate the mixed breed dog. I celebrate, you know, really all dogs because to me, their brains are the same. That being said, I do appreciate the, um, commitment that has gone into developing the breeds that we have today. And I appreciate the, um, I guess what I would say is that the type and the dependability that is offered by the purebred dog. So, so that being said, I would love to see the show world in general, um, see revived excitement, you know, more accessible dog shows and uh, more family friendly. I, I think both the grooming competition world and the dog show world could use an injection of family friendly. Okay. Excellent. Are you ready for our speed round? Yeah. All right, here we go. Favorite color? Green. Favorite TV show growing up? Speed Racer. Favorite grooming show? Well, Super Zoo, but I should say Atlanta Pet Fair because it's in March. (laughs) Okay, there you go. Uh, Your favorite inspirational quote? There's too many to pick from. Pass. Okay. Uh, Favorite alcoholic beverage? Bourbon. Do you want a brand? (laughs) Uh, No. Do you have one? Angel's Envy. Okay. There you go. Uh, Your favorite snack? Peanut butter. Favorite thing to listen to while grooming, or if you don't listen to anything while grooming, favorite thing to listen to in the car? Okay, so my favorite thing to listen to while I'm grooming is kind of a easy listening. I, there's an artist named Matt Carney that I love. However, I know Matt Carney. I've seen him in concert. Oh, I've seen him eight times. <laughs> so, I'm a I'm a super fan. So, long story short, I love Matt Carney, and that is usually who is playing in my ear, except when I'm hand stripping. And I will often listen to Metallica, <laughs> like Kid Rock. Okay, so it's got to definitely be upbeat. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, that's, that's why you. Little, that's why you do it so fast. It may be that's a dirty little secret that if I'm hand stripping, Kid Rock's probably in my ear. 
what is your favorite dirty word that happens to be innocent? Poop. Poop. And then what is your favorite lunch on your grooming days? Um, well, for years it was no lunch. And we now advocate a hands-off policy that all groomers need to take me time and build it into their day. I love it. So that being said, it's kind of boring, but it's peanut butter and jelly. <laughs> hey, it's something, right? That's, that's my favorite lunch. So uh, you made it through the speed round. Congratulations. And we're about to wrap it up. So I, I guess just um, finally, what is next for Chris Berry and where can people reach out to you? Well, I am, I would say in a state of transition, I've only been with WPA for about 90 days and I, it is the first time in three decades that I have worked for someone who is not myself. Mm. Um, and a shout out to them. They're amazing. They are absolutely running with, with my vision and, and my passion to uh, bring the things that I hope to bring to the grooming industry. So you will find me pretty much speaking at a show somewhere. I, I do still tend to or, or intend to speak at the shows this year. So if you find me at a show, just come up and grab me and um, we we can talk and walk and shop and do all of the things that we do at trade shows. Um, and you can play speed round or you can find me on Facebook and, um, should I give my email address or, uh, that's up to you. I mean, um, go ahead. It's easy. It's Chris dot Chris is K H R I S dot Barry at WPA org. So I would love to hear from anyone who, has any ideas about how to make the grooming world any better. And you can find me on Facebook too. That's awesome. Well, Chris, um, from Grooming Unleashed and Loyalty Pet Products, I want to thank you so much for taking the time out of your super busy schedule. And you are a super talent in this industry. And I want to thank you for all the decades of experience and, and uh, just amazing impact that you guys, that you, you have made in this industry. So thank you. You are welcome. And Ryan, back at you. I'm super, super excited to know you and your lovely wife and, and watch you and your family grow in the industry. Thank you very much. And uh, we look forward to seeing you in March, Chris. Uh, happy right. holidays. Same to you. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Thank you so much. And uh, we will we'll be talking soon. Thank you. Thank you. We appreciate all of you out there who are following and enjoying the podcast. If you could leave a glowing review for Grooming Unleashed. It would mean a lot to us as well as sharing with your grooming friends, co-workers, bosses, and anyone else in the industry. Uh, it would mean a lot. It also would mean a lot if you would visit our sponsor, Loyalty Pet Products, at www.loyaltypetproducts.com. And don't forget, you can use the code UNLEASHED to save 10% off of your next order. Thank you very much for our sponsorship loyalty pet products and thank you to all of you guys who are listening to us at grooming unleashed we appreciate you and your support